Well, friends, uh, if you're like most of us here in the United States today, you have probably been watching with great interest the, uh, the unfolding political season that we're in the midst of. Uh, two weeks ago, I was, uh, I was fascinated as I had the opportunity, like many of you, to watch our vice presidential debate on TV. Uh, fascinating exchange, and uh, uh, in my opinion, it was a great debate, especially in comparison to what we saw from our presidential candidates uh, a week earlier. Uh, vice President Pence and uh, Senator Harris uh, had, a, had a great exchange with one another, sharing their various visions for the future of our country. One of the topics that is of significant concern to many people in this election season is the question of religious freedom. And which of these two political parties is going to support the goal of religious freedom in our nation more effectively? Who is going to contend for the rights of the church, for example, to worship freely? And who's going to protect those values that are so dear to Christians and people who take God's Word seriously? And so this was a topic, if you recall, from watching the debate that came up uh, and, and Vice President Pence was making the argument that, that he and President Trump would be more faithful supporters of the cause of religious freedom. Now, if you recall from the debate, when he made that statement, Senator Harris interrupted Mike Pence and said, excuse me, Vice President, I, I take offense to that. And, and then she went on and she declared that I am a person of faith. And Joe Biden is a person of faith. And she went on to argue that as, as persons of faith that they would honor and respect and defend religious freedom here in America. Now, I'm not here to talk about the politics of, of her argument, but what I found interesting in her argument was how she used that term, person of faith. I'm a person of faith. Friends, if you've watched popular culture in recent years, you'll recognize that that term has become very well used in our society today. It's become a very common description for many people to label themselves a person of faith. And that sounds like a great description, right? I mean, I'm a person of faith, but there are some serious questions that need to be asked about that particular terminology. When you call yourself a person of faith, what are you putting your faith in? What is the object of your faith? Is it a true, legitimate, saving kind of faith? Is being a person of faith enough to cut it with God? I mean, is God impressed? I'm a person of faith. Will that cut it with God, friends? Is that sufficient for true fellowship with Him? Many people use this term, but I think it's a term that is thrown, thrown around far too casually, especially in light of what we saw last week. Last week at the end of John chapter 2 and verses 23 through 35, if you remember how our passage ended last week, as Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, John tells us that many of the Jews believed in Jesus. And yet Jesus did not entrust himself to them. If you remember, I, I shared how in the original Greek that literally reads, many believed in Jesus, but Jesus did not believe in them. Why? 
because he knows what's in the hearts of all people. And I think there are many in our world today who use this terminology, I'm a person of faith, and and sadly, I don't think that simply being a person of faith is going to cut it when we stand before the Lord one day on the day of judgment. This morning, we're going to look at the story of another individual who encounters Jesus. It's a story of a, of a man who comes to Jesus, a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, probably more than anyone in ancient Israel at this time, could rightly have been described as a person of faith. Nicodemus was a man of great faith. In fact, he was one of the, the great teachers of Israel in the time of Jesus. He, he was a Pharisee, one of the 6,000 most righteous Jews in all of Israel. And by righteous, I mean they were known for their outward works of righteousness, their works of religion, and trying to faithfully and diligently and aggressively keep the Old Testament laws of God. They were known to, to keep those laws more than any others in Israelite culture at this time. He was also a a man who was a member of the Jewish religious ruling body, the Sanhedrin, one of of 70 who served on the Sanhedrin, which was similar to, to what our Supreme Court would be today for ancient Israel. And and so this man comes to Jesus. He is a man of faith, a person of faith. He's steeped in religion. However, as we're going to see this morning, Jesus makes clear that whatever faith Nicodemus had, whatever belief he possessed, it wasn't a faith leading to salvation. In fact, Nicodemus was missing the most essential reality of all for experiencing genuine fellowship with God. What is that? Well, let's look to our passage this morning. We're in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. After Jesus' time at the Passover in Jerusalem, we we now come to this story in chapter 3, and John begins, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to, what we have seen, but but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you did not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? 
No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What a powerful, powerful passage. I want to highlight three observations in our passage this morning, observations that have significant implications and and applications for our lives today. Whether you're a follower of Jesus currently or, or whether you're watching at home or here this morning as a seeker, questioning religion, questioning faith, wondering about Jesus, this passage has profound truth to share with us. In, in his conversation with Nicodemus, the first thing we find is Jesus embraces the seeker. Jesus embraces the seeker. In verses 1 through 2 of our passage, we find Nicodemus come to Jesus. He comes to Jesus at night, in the dark, in the secret, out of the eye of the public. And why would Nicodemus come to Jesus this way? Well, friends, again, Nicodemus was one of the most prominent people in all of Israel. A member of the Jewish religious ruling body, the Sanhedrin. He was a devout Pharisee known for his zeal in keeping the laws. And and as we saw last week at the time of the Passover, many people started questioning Jesus, even believing in Jesus. It it wasn't a saving faith, but it was a faith that was, was questioning, who is this man? What's this guy about? I mean, we see the signs he's performing. And apparently God was stirring in Nicodemus's heart these same kinds of questions, desiring more information, more knowledge, more understanding about this man, Jesus, who was doing these incredible things. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night in the secret and says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus, in his curiosity, Nicodemus, in his desire for understanding, and Nicodemus, in his pride, his pride of maybe not wanting others to know that, that he didn't have it all figured out, his pride in, in being viewed as a teacher of Israel and yet recognizing he was missing something and he needed to go to Jesus to find it. Nicodemus goes to Jesus at night in the dark. Friends, if you remember from earlier in John, in John's prologue in verses 4 through 5 of chapter 1, we read, In him Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Friends, when John tells us that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, it wasn't just the physical darkness that John is referring to, but John, throughout his gospel, uses the term night as a metaphor for the spiritual darkness that we find ourselves in apart from God, apart from a right and saving relationship with God. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus out of the spiritual darkness, drawn to the light that he sees in Jesus. And and while John doesn't 
really tell us Nicodemus's motives in all of this. I mean, was he just genuinely seeking? Was he coming to question or attack Jesus? We, we, we don't know his full motives, but we do know that Jesus knew Nicodemus's motives. Remember in John chapter 2, which we just looked at, verses 24 and 25, Jesus knew the hearts of all men. And so Jesus looked into the heart of Nicodemus. He knew what was in his heart that night as he came in the dark. We also know Jesus' motives for Nicodemus. In John chapter 1, verse 9, we read that Jesus is the true light which gives light to everyone. And so Jesus desired to shine his light of truth into the darkness of Nicodemus' heart so that Nicodemus could understand what was essential for him in order to know God what's essential for us in order to know God. And so Jesus welcomes Nicodemus into his presence. Some of you came to Jesus at night, in the dark, in the secret, searching out for Jesus without wanting others to know. Maybe some of you watching at home today. Uh, Maybe you're watching at home because you're coming to Jesus in the secret, in the dark, not wanting others to know that that you're asking these spiritual questions, that you're searching for these spiritual answers, but but you're curious, and so you've come this morning, you've, you've tuned into our broadcast this morning because you are looking for something in Jesus, just like Nicodemus came in the dark looking for something in Jesus. Friends, I want to tell you something this morning. It is better to come to Jesus at night than not at all. Many people throughout history have come to faith in Jesus in the dark, in the secret, wanting to to explore who this Jesus is, but but not yet ready to step out publicly and acknowledge their search. And, And I just want to affirm you, friends, if that's where you are, maybe that's where you are today, those of you physically present. Maybe maybe you're here physically present, but in secret. Maybe you've been coming for years and years and you're still searching out Jesus and, and outwardly everybody else thinks you're in and yet you're not fully sure yourself if you're in and And so even being here is coming to Jesus in secret. I heard an interesting story this week. Uh, A couple at our church, I was out eating lunch with my son this week, and this couple from our church came up and said hello to us, and they said, Pastor Jason, we want to share something really exciting with you. This couple's wayward son moved away from home years ago and has, has walked away from his faith and his parents recently discovered that he, he shared with them how over the recent months he's been watching our sermons here at Lakes Free online every Sunday. And God has been using the messages of our teaching to, to draw him back to his faith. And his parents were overjoyed. They didn't know anything about this until just recently. Here is this young man coming to Jesus in the dark, in the secret, looking for hope, looking for answers. And again, friends, I'll just simply affirm it is better to come to Jesus in the dark than not at all. Because Jesus is the God who embraces seekers. He's the God who shines the light of truth into the darkness and will reveal himself to you if you come looking for him. 
whether it's here with us in person on a Sunday morning or tuning in online at home in your living room, Jesus knows your heart. And he'll receive you like he received Nicodemus. See, Jesus knew Nicodemus' heart, and he knew exactly where Nicodemus needed the light of truth to shine into his life. I want to tell you something this morning, friends. Jesus knows your heart just as intimately as he knows Nicodemus' heart here in our passage. Jesus knows where you are today. He knows your desires this morning. He knows what you're struggling with this morning. He knows what you're longing for and what you need from him this morning. And if you open your heart to Jesus, he too will shine the light of his truth into your heart, right where you need it to shine. We see in verse 3, Jesus says, To Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Here in a single sentence, Jesus cuts right to the heart of what Nicodemus most needed. Nicodemus had religion, but what he needed was a right relationship with God. He had worldly recognition, but what he really needed was a spiritual regeneration of his heart. He needed to be made new. He needed to be born again. And so Jesus tells Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Truly, truly emphasizing these important words, you need to be born again. Now in verse 4, Nicodemus responds to Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born Here we find Nicodemus is is dumbfounded, if you will, by by Jesus' declaration, you need to be born again. How, How can a man be born again? Now, friends, I think we need to cut Nicodemus a little slack here this morning. The, the, the term born again is, is such a commonly used term today, not only in, in Christian circles, but in our popular cultural circles. Many people have heard this expression, and, and we know what, what is meant by that term. You know, it's like new life, new birth. Uh, I, I heard, for example, recently I was watching a sports program, and, and the sports broadcaster was talking about the quarterback, Tom Brady, being born again in his new position at Tampa Bay with the Buccaneers. His career has been born again. Even secular people have an understanding of that concept. But 2,000 years ago, when Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again, friends, we need to remember that no one had heard this kind of talk before. And so Nicodemus, his mind goes to to the only thing he can comprehend. How, How can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter again into his mother's womb? Nicodemus was was probably thinking, like like I thought about this past week, of of, of watching his own children be birthed into the world. And and you see what what a woman goes through in giving birth and and this miracle of a little baby comes out from the mother's womb, and Nicodemus is probably thinking, Jesus, I mean, it's one thing to talk about a little baby, but a growing man, I mean, that's not going to happen. And if I go and tell my mama about this, she's not going to be excited at all. How can a man be born again? 
Now, when John records Jesus talking about being born again here, it's important that we recognize that he is using a term that is purposely ambiguous in the Greek. The word born again in the Greek is the Greek word anothen. And it means to be born again or born from above. It means both of those things. To be born again from above. And while Nicodemus here was thinking about the physical impossibility of what Jesus was telling him, Jesus had in mind a much greater spiritual possibility for Nicodemus. And this leads me to point number two this morning. In Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, we find Jesus explains the Spirit. He explains the role of the Spirit to Nicodemus. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now notice, friends, Jesus doesn't tell Nicodemus what he must do. He doesn't say to Nicodemus, this is what you need to do. Instead, he tells Nicodemus what must be done for him. What must be done for him? Nicodemus, you need to be born again. See, friends, just like a baby has no part in their birth, neither do we have any part in the experience of being born again. When a baby is conceived, that baby has no say in that matter. When a baby grows and develops in her mother's womb, she has no say in that matter. When it's time for the mother to give birth, the baby plays no part in that. It's all out of her control. And it's the same way, friends, when, it ta- when we talk about being born again. How does this happen? How, how is a person born again? Well, Jesus tells us it's a supernatural work. A supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Take a look at verse 5. Jesus says to Nicodemus, truly, truly, again, for emphasis, Nicodemus, pay attention. Friends, listen, anytime you see Jesus say truly, truly, not just truly, but truly, truly, you better pay attention. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, you need to be born of of water and the Spirit. Now, some people think that that Jesus' reference here to to water and the Spirit is is an explanation which speaks of the requirement of baptism for our salvation. And friends, that's not at all what Jesus is talking about. That's a misunderstanding. When Jesus is talking about water here, he's not talking about baptism. When Jesus uses water here along with the Spirit, he's actually using water as a metaphor for the Spirit. In fact, water and Spirit are used synonymously by Jesus throughout his ministry. For example, in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 39, Jesus says, If any of you are thirsty, come and drink from me, and I will spring up within you wells, rivers of living water, he says. And then John tells us, by this he was speaking of the Spirit. You want rivers of living water to flow out from within you. You need the Holy Spirit within you. Jesus here is talking about being born of spiritual water. In fact, the terms water and spirit, the word and there in the Greek is is kai, K-A-I. That word in the Greek can mean and or even. 
And, and so what Jesus is really saying here to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, even the Spirit... They're synonymous, the same thing. Unless you're born of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then in verses 6 and 7, Jesus goes on, and he says to Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Jesus says, look it, the flesh can only give birth to flesh. And by flesh, Jesus is talking about our fallen sinful nature. Jesus is saying, look it, you can't do anything in the flesh to improve yourself. You can't experience the regeneration of the heart that is needed to have a right relationship with God by your own works, by your own efforts. It's like that old saying, friends, you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. You know what I'm saying? And that's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus here. You can try to dress up your life all you want with good works and morality and religion and ritual. But if you haven't dealt with your flesh, the fallen sinful nature within you, you're just putting lipstick on a pig. Jesus says the spirit gives birth to spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that comes and moves within us that gives birth to new spiritual life. This is why Jesus says to Nicodemus, you need to be born again, born from above, because you can't do this yourself. It's a supernatural work of God in our life. And then in verse 8, Jesus goes on to share this great illustration of the wind to, to Nicodemus to help him understand these spiritual truths. Jesus says in verse 8, the wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now interestingly here, Jesus is using a play on words because in the Greek, the word for wind is actually the word for spirit, pneuma. And so Nicodemus would have made that connection. He would have heard Jesus talking about physical wind, but he would have also understood that Jesus was using this as a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, in this great illustration of the wind, he highlights two truths here for us. Number one, Jesus tells us that just as the wind is beyond our control, Jesus says the wind blows wherever it pleases, just as the wind is beyond our control, so too is the movement of God's Spirit. New Testament scholar Tom Schreiner describes it like this. He says, The Spirit grants new life sovereignly and unexpectedly, producing life where humans least expect it to occur. New life comes not from human effort, or human accomplishment, but from the miraculous work of God's Spirit. Friends, to be born again, to be born from above, is a miraculous work of God's Spirit. It's not something that we can control. It's something that God does within us. It's like the man I shared about earlier this week who, who came to my office and, and God's spirit had been moving in his heart. I had nothing to do with that. I'm sitting in my office Wednesday night in my own business. 
And here's this guy, unbeknownst to me, who for years has been wrestling with spiritual questions. Last Sunday, the Holy Spirit is moving in his heart. Last Wednesday, the Holy Spirit compelled him to come and visit with me and to give his life fully to Jesus Christ. It was a supernatural work of God that led him to repentance. Jesus says, just like the wind is beyond our control, so too is the movement of God's Spirit. And then secondly, Jesus conveys in this illustration, like the wind, while we cannot see the Spirit, we can discern the evidence of His presence. Jesus says, just like you see the the wind blow, you, you see the evidence of the wind. You can't see the wind itself. Yesterday I was raking leaves with my family and, and every once in a while as we're raking leaves, the leaves would start blowing across the, the yard. Friends, when those leaves started dancing across the yard, we didn't stop and say, wow, it's magic. I mean, look at those leaves. They're dancing across the grass. No. We know that when those leaves move across the grass, it's evidence of the wind. That's propelling that movement. And Jesus says in the same way, just like we can't see the Spirit, we can see the evidence of the Spirit. Friends, when the Spirit of God blows, there will be unmistakable evidence. I heard a great story of this just this week. Pastor Rick sent me an email. Pastor Rick Stanghelly, our former senior pastor. He was so excited, you could just hear his enthusiasm abounding from the words in this email. He had just talked to his son, Matt. Matt Stanghelly, who's one of our Lakes Free missionaries over in Norway. Matt Stanghelly is planting one of the first evangelical gospel-based churches in the state of Norway in years and years. Norway today is one of the most secular nations in the world. Recently, Matt had an individual contact him and said, Matt, we, we want you to come to, to a city outside of Oslo. We, we, need to help, we need you to meet with us, Matt. And so, so Matt went and he visited this city and he discovered there there was this group of Christians who had already formed a core group. They're waiting for somebody to come and shepherd them as their pastor. They're longing for a Bible-teaching church in this suburb of Norway or suburb of Oslo. It's a group of people Matt had no knowledge of, didn't know anything about them, far away from where he's planting his current church. But the Spirit of God was working there. The Spirit of God has brought this group of people together. Not only that, two of these men want to go to seminary and pursue ministry so that they can shepherd their church and plant more gospel-teaching churches in Norway. And so Matt's begun the process of helping them get enrolled in seminary so that they can be trained as, as pastors, as pastors, as shepherds. Matt had nothing to do with this. It was all the work of the Holy Spirit. See, friends, when the Spirit is at work, you're going to see evidence of it. It's one of the most powerful things that you can ever experience. I long for us here at Lakes Free to see more stories like that. More stories of transformation taking place, not because of our efforts or our work, because the Spirit of God is at work, moving. Friends, are you praying along those lines? Are you praying for God's Spirit to be working in supernatural ways here in the Chisago Lakes area? Are you praying for your neighbors and your family members and and beseeching God for their salvation? Holy Spirit, move upon their hearts. Draw them to you. Shine the light of truth upon their lives. Friends, I think 
for any revival to take place, it's going to come as a result of God's people intentionally praying for the unsaved people in our lives. Let's make that commitment to be in prayer for revival. In verses 9 through 10, Nicodemus hears all these things from Jesus, and he says, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Nicodemus here was one of the leaders of the Jewish people. He, He was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, and yet he has no idea. But he should have known what Jesus is talking about. As a teacher of Israel, he he should have known that God had prophesied these things. God had spoken of these things even in the Old Testament. In numerous passages, passages like Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, where God told the Jewish people in the Old Testament, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. Remember, water is synonymous with the Spirit, right? I will sprinkle the Spirit on you, and I will cleanse you of your idols. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Friends, this is Old Testament here. This is born-again language. God had already talked like this in the Old Testament, and Nicodemus missed it. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Nicodemus, as a faithful Jew, was striving to earn God's favor through his outward works, his outward rituals, his, his, his acts of righteousness. But God says, no, 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 Nicodemus, it has always been about heart transformation spiritual regeneration and that only happens when my spirit comes and moves within you producing this new life in verse 11 through 13 we read jesus says again truly truly pay attention friends i say to you we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen but you do not receive our testimony If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you're so lost. You're so lost in the dark right now, Nicodemus. I've been explaining earthly things to you like birth and wind. And if you can't even understand this, how are you going to understand the loftier things of heaven? See, again, Jesus wanted Nicodemus to recognize it wasn't about his human wisdom, his human knowledge, his human activity. It was about what God needed to do within Nicodemus' heart. Nicodemus needed to submit his heart to the Lord. And Jesus says, look at, I have descended from heaven to convey these truths. The Son of Man has descended from heaven. Nicodemus would have understood that term. It comes right out of Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, we read, Daniel looks into heaven and he sees one like the Son of Man stand before the Holy of Holies. And the Son of Man is given all glory, honor, power, and authority by God. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus, I am the Son of Man. I've come into your presence. Truly, truly, Nicodemus, pay attention and listen because when the Son of Man reveals the way to salvation, you better pay attention. When the Son of Man says you must be born again, you better pay attention. Because, friends, it doesn't matter what you personally think about how you make yourself right with God. 
It doesn't matter what you think about your own good deeds and your own acts of righteousness. It doesn't matter what you would prefer or what you wish was the case. All that matters is what the one who descended from heaven and has revealed truth to us tells us about these things. His his word on the matter is all that matters. And so Jesus goes on and he concludes his conversation with Nicodemus. Point number three, by employing the snake. Jesus employs the snake. Now you might be thinking, well, what is this all about, Jason? Well, here Jesus wraps up his conversation with Nicodemus by employing an illustration from the Old Testament. In Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9, we read the story of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. And as they were wandering in the wilderness, they began to grumble and complain. We, we had it better in Egypt, Moses. What are you doing to us? We're out in the middle of nowhere. Where, where's this promised land you told us about, Moses? And God, in judgment against the Israelites for their lack of faith, for their complaining, God sends fiery serpents, Numbers tells us, poisonous serpents who come and and move amongst the camp of the Israelites. And they began to, to bite the Israelites and poison the Israelites. And the Israelites are dying and they're pleading with Moses for deliverance. And God tells Moses, fashion a bronze snake and hold this bronze snake up high on a pole. And when the people look at the snake, they shall be delivered. Now you might be thinking, why on earth would God have Moses form a bronze snake as the means of Israel's deliverance? Why would he do this? Friends, it's because in this image, God was foreshadowing for his people his ultimate plan of salvation for the whole world. You see, just as the people of Israel had to look at a representation of their curse in order to be saved from it, so too must we look to Jesus. As the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. And so in becoming like the snake, Jesus became the embodiment of our curse, our sin. And like the snake, God would lift him up on a cross as the means of our deliverance that when we look upon him, we too will be saved. And Jesus says to Nicodemus in John three fifteen, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus couldn't fully understand this teaching in the moment, but you know something, friends, later he would. In John 19, after Jesus' crucifixion, we discover that Nicodemus is one of the two men who took Jesus' body from the cross and took care of his body, burying him in the tomb. See, I believe Nicodemus came to understand the truth about who Jesus really was. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Friends, let me ask you this morning. Have you looked upon Jesus for your salvation? Friends watching at home this morning, have you looked upon Jesus as your only hope for eternal life? 
One of the great missionaries in the history of the modern era is a man named John G. Patton. He was a missionary in the 19th century to the New Hebrides Islands, the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific, a real pioneering missionary. He went to this tribe of headhunters known for killing outsiders, and he moved and lived among these people and befriended these people and got to know these people, and his desire was to convey the gospel for these people, but he had to translate God's word into their native language. And so over the years, he faithfully worked to translate the scriptures into the language of the people of New Hebrides. But there was always one word that that Patton couldn't figure out an accurate translation for, and it was the word believe. He, He was wrestling with how to properly convey the idea of belief, believing in Jesus. One day John Patton was out hunting with some of the natives, and after a long day out in the bush hunting pigs, Patton came back to his hut and he had a lawn chair out there in front of his hut and he plopped himself down in this lawn chair and one of the natives said to Patton, it's good to stretch out and rest. It's good to stretch out and rest. And Patton seized upon that word to stretch out and rest and he used that word as the translation for what it means to believe in Jesus To to, to believe is to stretch out and rest. And so he translates John 3.15, for example, whoever stretches out and rests in Jesus may have eternal life. Friends, are you tired this morning? Are you tired of trying to do life on your own terms? Are you tired of the never-ending search for something to satisfy your deepest longings? Are you tired of the burden of trying to strive to earn God's approval through your good works, through your morality, through religious practice and ritual? Friends, if you're tired this morning, let me encourage you, stretch out and rest in Jesus. Stretch out and rest in Jesus. Jesus says you must be born again. How? Do we come to new life in Jesus? It's a work of the Holy Spirit that happens when we believe in him by faith, when we stop our own striving and we stretch out and rest, knowing that only Jesus can save us. He alone is our hope. Don't miss this opportunity, friends. Don't miss the opportunity to be born again, to have the Spirit of God come into your heart, and do a miraculous work of transformation in your life. Stretch out and rest in Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this amazing reality that is ours in you, in Jesus Christ. The opportunity to be born again, to know freedom from the striving of self-fulfillment and and self-struggle to attain a right relationship with you and, and the striving of all of that and to simply have the ability to come to you by faith, to stretch out and rest in your amazing grace, to know that when we turn to you in faith, whoever looks to you, whoever believes in Jesus, shall be saved and will have eternal life. Lord Jesus, I just pray that if there's anybody here this morning, if there's anybody watching at home this morning who hasn't looked to you as their hope for salvation, 
who hasn't stretched out and rested in the promise of your amazing grace, that maybe even right now this morning, they might turn to you in faith and seek you and discover the light of your grace shining upon their heart in ways that they could have never imagined that your spirit might come and move within them and well up within them rivers of living water that they too might be born again. And Lord Jesus, for those of us who know the joy of being a child of God, who've experienced the new birth that comes through your Holy Spirit, I just pray, Father, that we too would continue to carry this message out to the world that so desperately needs to hear it today. That we too would tell the world about the hope of of resting in Jesus. That when we look upon Jesus, we too can be delivered from the curse that plagues us. God, help us to take our calling and our commission seriously. The hope of the world is Jesus. Give us a passion to take that amazing news, the good news of the gospel to all people. May that be our motivation. May that be the heart's cry of Lakes Free Church in the years to come. God, give us a passion for taking the good news to the whole world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. It comes from Revelation chapter 1. I'll just remind you, if you'd please remain seated until our ushers dismiss you at the end of the service, that would be terrific. In Revelation chapter 1, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom, priest to God and the Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a great week. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jason here. And I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church. You can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free. And you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests. And we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.